Chapter Nine of the Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Nine. They laid her in the grave, the sweet mother with her baby in her arms, while the Christmas snow lay thick upon the graves. It was Mr. Cleves who buried her. On the first news of Mr. Barton's calamity, he had ridden over from Triplegate to beg that he might be made of some use, and his silent grasp of Amos's hand had penetrated like the painful thrill of life-recovering warmth to the poor benumbed heart of the stricken man. The snow lay thick upon the graves, and the day was cold and dreary, but there was many a sad eye watching that black procession as it passed from the vicarage to the church and from the church to the open grave. There were men and women standing in that churchyard who had bandied vulgar jests about their pastor and who had lightly charged him with sin. But now, when they saw him following the coffin, pale and haggard, he was consecrated anew by his great sorrow, and they looked at him with respectful pity. All the children were there, for Amos had willed it so, thinking that some dim memory of that sacred moment might remain even with little Walter, and link itself with what he would hear of his sweet mother in after years. He himself led Patty and Dicky. Then came Sophie and Fred. Mr. Brand had begged to carry Chubby, and Nanny followed with Walter. They made a circle round the grave while the coffin was being lowered. Patty, alone of all the children, felt that Mama was in that coffin, and that a new and sadder life had begun for Papa and herself. She was pale and trembling, but she clasped his hand more firmly as the coffin went down, and gave no sob. Fred and Sophie, though they were only two and three years younger, and though they had seen Mamma in her coffin, seemed to themselves to be looking at some strange show. They had not learned to decipher that terrible handwriting of human destiny, illness and death. Dicky had rebelled against his black clothes until he was told that it would be naughty to Mamma not to put them on, when he at once submitted. And now, though he had heard Nanny say that Mamma was in heaven, he had a vague notion that she would come home again to-morrow and say he had been a good boy and let him empty her work-box. He stood close to his father with great rosy cheeks and wide-open blue eyes, looking first up at Mr. Cleves, and then down at the coffin, and thinking he and Chubby would play at that when they got home. The burial was over, and Amos turned with his children to re-enter the house, the house where, an hour ago, Milly's dear body lay, where the windows were half-darkened, and sorrow seemed to have a hallowed precinct for itself, shut out from the world. But now she was gone, the broad, snow-reflected daylight was in all the rooms, the vicarage again seemed part of the common working-day world, and Amos, for the first time, felt that he was alone, that day after day, month after month, year after year, would have to be lived through without Milly's love. Spring would come, and she would not be there. Summer, and she would not be there. 
and he would never have her again with him by the fireside in the long evenings. The seasons all seemed irksome to his thoughts, and how dreary the sunshiny days that would be sure to come. She was gone from him, and he could never show her his love any more, never make up for omissions in the past by filling future days with tenderness. Oh, the anguish of that thought that we can never atone to our dead for the stinted affection we gave them, for the light answers we returned to their plaints or their pleadings, for the little reverence we showed to that sacred human soul that lived so close to us and was the divinest thing God had given us to know. Amos Barton had been an affectionate husband, and while Milly was with him, he was never visited by the thought that perhaps his sympathy with her was not quick and watchful enough. But now he relived all their life together, with that terrible keenness of memory and imagination which bereavement gives, and he felt as if his very love needed a pardon for its poverty and selfishness. No outward solace could counteract the bitterness of this inward woe. But outward solace came, cold faces looked kind again, and parishioners turned over in their minds what they could best do to help their pastor. Mr. Oldenport wrote to express his sympathy and enclosed another twenty-pound note, begging that he might be permitted to contribute in this way to the relief of Mr. Barton's mind from pecuniary anxieties, under the pressure of a grief which all his parishioners must share, and offering his interest towards placing the two eldest girls in a school expressly founded for clergymen's daughters. Mr. Cleves succeeded in collecting thirty pounds among his richer clerical brethren, and adding ten pounds himself, sent the sum to Amos, with the kindest and most delicate words of Christian fellowship and manly friendship. Miss Jackson forgot old grievances and came to stay some months with Milly's children, bringing such material aid as she could spare from her small income. These were substantial helps which relieved Amos from the pressure of his money difficulties, and the friendly attentions, the kind pressure of the hand, the cordial looks he met with everywhere in his parish made him feel that the fatal frost which had settled on his pastoral duties during the countess's residence at the vicarage was completely thawed and that the hearts of his parishioners were once more open to him no one breathed the countess's name now for milly's memory hallowed her husband as of old the place was hallowed on which an angel from god had alighted when the spring came mrs hackett begged that she might have dicky to stay with her and great was the enlargement of Dickie's experience from that visit. Every morning he was allowed, being well wrapped up as to his chest by Mrs. Hackett's own hands, but very bare and red as to his legs, to run loose in the cow and poultry yard, to persecute the turkey-cock by satirical imitations of his gobble-gobble, and to put difficult questions to the groom as to the reasons why horses had four legs and other transcendental matters. Then Mr. Hackett would take Dickie up on horseback when he rode round his farm, and Mrs. Hackett had a large plum-cake in cut, ready to meet incidental attacks of hunger. So that Dickie had considerably modified his views as to the desirability of Mrs. Hackett's kisses. 
the misses farquhar made particular pets of fred and sophy to whom they undertook to give lessons twice a week in writing and geography and mrs farquhar devised many treats for the little ones patty's treat was to stay at home or walk about with her papa and when he sat by the fire in an evening after the other children were gone to bed she would bring a stool and placing it against his feet would sit down upon it and lean her head against his knee then his hand would rest on that fair head and he would feel that milly's love was not quite gone out of his life so the time wore on till it was may again and the church was quite finished and reopened in all its new splendour and mr barton was devoting himself with more vigour than ever to his parochial duties but one morning it was a very bright morning and evil tidings sometimes like to fly in the finest weather there came a letter for mr barton addressed in the vicar's handwriting amos opened it with some anxiety somehow or other he had a presentiment of evil the letter contained the announcement that mr carp had resolved on coming to reside at shepperton and that consequently in six months from that time mr barton's duties as curate in that parish would be closed oh it was hard just when shepperton had become the place where he most wished to stay where he had friends who knew his sorrows where he lived close to milly's grave to part from that grave seemed like parting with milly a second time for amos was one who clung to all the material links between his mind and the past his imagination was not vivid and required the stimulus of actual perception it roused some bitter feeling too to think that mr carp's wish to reside at shepperton was merely a pretext for removing mr barton in order that he might ultimately give the curacy of shepperton to his own brother-in-law who was known to be wanting a new position still it must be borne and the painful business of seeking another curacy must be set about without loss of time after the lapse of some months amos was obliged to renounce the hope of getting one at all near shepperton and he at length resigned himself to accepting one in a distant county the parish was in a large manufacturing town where his walks would lie among noisy streets and dingy alleys and where the children would have no garden to play in no pleasant farmhouses to visit it was another blow inflicted on the bruised man End of chapter nine of the sad fortunes of the reverend amos barton